Well, welcome everyone to this podcast on the recently published white paper on corporate audit and corporate governance. And I'm delighted to be joined by Deborah Morton Dare and Steve Giles to discuss this 232 page document, quite a mammoth document, which is intended really to ch fundamentally change the nature of corporate audit and corporate governance. Um, before we start our discussion, I'd like to provide you with a bit of background, a bit of context on where this government proposal is coming from. I mean, it's all about increasing trust and confidence in the corporate reporting and corporate audit process by holding auditors and directors of large companies to account. This has been really in response to a number of very high profile company collapses and scandals like at Carillion, Wirecard, Patisserie Valerie and Thomas Cook, to name but a few. Um, and also there's been a real uh, concern about how concentration in the audit market of the big four audit firms may or may not be affecting audit quality. Um, there's been three very big government reviews of this topic over the last couple of years. Um, the Kingman Review, or also known as the FRC Review, really examined the functioning of the Financial Reporting Council and found that it really lacked the powers and the clarity of purpose to hold directors and auditors to account um, and has advocated the replacement of the FRC with a new, tougher, statutory regulated body, regulatory body, ARGA. Um, the, the Competition and Markets Authority um, market study reviewed the audit market and concluded that there was actually an unhealthy degree of market dominance in the audit, audit market, which effect, potentially affected audit quality and resilience, and so made uh, recommendations to address that. And then thirdly, we've also had the Bryden Review, chaired by Sir Donald Bryden, which argued that statutory audit needed to deliver more than it currently was, was delivering in terms of providing a useful output to the users of, of audit and the users of company reports. Bryden's conclusion was that although corporate audit wasn't broken, it had somewhat lost its way in recent years and it made a number of, of recommendations to try and address that. Um, I think in terms of what um, this white paper is proposing, um, at the centre of it is the proposal to move forward with the replacement of the FRC to create this tough new um, audit regulator. But of course, Arga will not only be regulating and overseeing the audit firms, it will also be playing a significant new role in assessing the job that directors do in company reporting and audit and holding them directly to accounts. Um, so let me know, just on this topic of directors of board members and what the white paper mean, means to them. Deborah, maybe I could put that question to you, to you. What do you think the main implications of these government proposals are for, for board members? Yes, Roger, I think it is interesting. My take on it is that there is nothing in the white paper 
that was not a duty of a director in the first place. I think the big change is that they have to be playing their part in ensuring it. And there is actually going to be a framework that's adequate in holding directors to account. In the past, all of these duties have been there. They had to play their part in ensuring that the corporate reporting is reliable. It's all about relying on the information that's being published. And the problem in the past has been there wasn't actually anyone who had the power individually to enforce these. So the FRC didn't have that power to enforce these directors' duties unless the director was a member of an accountancy body. And I think to me, that's one of the big changes. It's not just about th those rules are there. It's that they're actually being enforced. So that, that it really is a big increase in enforcement, isn't it? Because if you look historically, there were very few um, ac legal actions taken against the directors, at least of directors of solvent companies. Um, and directors are generally seen as owing their duties to the company. And it's for the company actually to, to kind of pursue and enforce directors' duties. But now we're shifting to a situation where the regulator is going to be doing that, so to speak, on, on the company's behalf. Absolutely. And they they don't even have to apply to the court to do it. It'll be far more direct action where they can take civil cases uh, if necessary. So that to me is that civil enforcement power uh, around investigation and enforcement. So they will be holding directors to account for breaches of duty. It'd be far more direct and far easier for them to do that. They didn't have the power to do that before. Yes. Steve, I wonder if I can ask you that it, it, it's noticeable there are a number of proposals in this white paper to make directors attest publicly that they have done all sorts of things. Um, uh, presumably, the purpose of, of, of requiring directors to do that is that the regulator will then be able to hold directors directly accountable um, to the extent that they are fulfilling the, these, these commitments. I mean, do you think that that makes it quite um, a scary situation now now for directors, given what given what, what they're having to commit to? Um, Roger, thank you. And and uh, look, I think I think maybe at first sight it might appear so. But I, I, I do agree with Deborah. I think that uh, 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 in effect, uh, the directors are, are not being asked to do anything more than than they should already have been doing under the old regime. Of course, there is going to be more formal reporting here. And and uh, you've you've already mentioned the uh, uh, what is going to be called the director's responsibility statement for internal controls. So this is uh, this is absolutely uh, 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 putting forward in writing uh, uh, the director's responsibility for internal uh, controls, their review on an annual basis of the effectiveness of those internal controls, and actually saying what their opinion is. And I think, and I think that might that might actually uh, uh, concentrate minds there around that. Um, and of course, that that particular statement feeds into the other core area of this whole uh, consultation, which is around audit, because uh, the auditors will uh, uh, be required to uh, form a view on that. Not quite clear whether it will be uh, uh, how comprehensive that review will be yet, but it will be some form of attestation. 
and I and 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 I guess maybe the scary feature of this is 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 that there are some indications here of a of a sort of Sabane's Oxley or a Sabane's Oxley light regime coming into the UK as came into the United States in the wake of the Enron and WorldCom uh, 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 bankruptcies. Um, Deborah, do you think this this is like Sabane's Oxley? Is it? I mean, there are some. There are some things, I guess, which it has in common, which is this desire to make directors stand up and say, I solemnly declare that I will look at these issues, whether we're talking about, as, as Steve was saying, internal control, or are they paying um, dividends out of properly calculated distributable profits and, and other things as well. But is, is this really like Sarbanes-Oxley in the US? There has been a lot of consideration around that, hasn't there? A lot of discussion, particularly in the media, I think, about how this is UK Sarbanes-Oxley. Personally, having worked in the US, it isn't. It isn't. And I think there have been some very sensible discussions in the white paper around this about the pros and cons of adopting that US model. I think we all know that it's very rules based in the US and very prescriptive. And the argument is this is a tick based approach. And I think one of the big arguments in the paper, which is probably moving away from exactly the US is that Sarbanes-Oxley approach can be seen to be only aimed at those internal controls that are relating to financial statements, whereas the UK approach has always encouraged companies to consider and manage all risks. So we didn't want to narrow that. And I think that's exactly the where the white paper has come down, yes. which is a big relief, I would argue. It's also the cost, you know, it can be enormous, the cost in the US. And there's a specific repeating theme in the white paper that they're going to be giving special consideration to the importance of proportionality in relation to the size of the company. So I think, you know, it's very clear the framework they want to go for because they give three options, A, B and C, but they clearly really want one of those options. But I think it's going to be much, much more wide-based and more principle-based. I don't think it's going to be as extreme as Sarbanes-Oxley. Yes. That would be, from what you read in the discussions, they seem to be putting that forward, but then saying no. Yes, and I, I, I can sort of see two specific ways in which it isn't like Sarbanes-Oxley. I mean, in Sarbanes-Oxley, you have to obtain external assurance, don't you, around the, the internal control framework. So that isn't going to be required here. And in fact, um, there is no actual widening of where um, external assurance will be mandatory. It still remains in respect of the, the financial statements. Um, it, it, it's, there's no proposal to actually go beyond that. Um, and the other, the other area that I would just mention is that and I'm very glad to say is that the government doesn't appear to be inclined to make specific board members or specific executives take personal responsibility for the internal control and financial disclosures. It is, appears to be continuing to recognise the collective responsibility of the, of the board of directors for these matters, which is in line with UK practice, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think what's, I mean, what, one of the things they highlight is that at the moment there have been all of these requirements about maintaining evaluation and reporting on the internal controls, but it's been very weird there's no specific requirement at all at the moment for boards to report on whether they consider those systems to be adequate or effective which seems 
bizarre, doesn't it? Now, obviously, good practice would be you would, but but as far as I can see, this internal control statement is very specifically going to force directors to do that rather than people being kept a bit in the dark. Would you agree with that, Steve? Yeah, I would, uh, Deborah. I think I think this is uh, this is one of the uh, 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 maybe maybe key points of difference here. But I I do agree with what you said and what Roger said. Uh, two things in particular strike me. First of all, uh, UK is very clear that it'll be collective responsibility of the uh, uh, the board rather than CEO or CFO as we uh, 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 have in the United States. And uh, secondly, your, your your point, Deborah, about the importance of uh, the UK's uh, uh, focus on, on wide-ranging risk and internal controls around the business, I think, is being retained in the, uh, the statement. Yes. Now, now, one of the recommendations of the Bryden Review, one of our three big reviews, which, which have really fed into the, these um, proposals, was that the scope of audit needed to be increased in the future, that people were not just going to be interested in assurance about you know, the, the profit and loss account and the balance sheet, the core financial data. There's now a much wider range of information that people want um, assurance on and that they want companies to report on. So Steve, I mean, just thinking about one of those, which is about fraud prevention. You know, this has been a big issue, hasn't it, with, um, auditors saying, I remember the head of one audit firm famously said, we are not responsible for detecting fraud, um, which is a great consternation amongst people. Um, what, does, what does this white paper have to say about that? Uh, uh Roger, yes. Well, this um, this picks up, uh, as you say, the fraud issue. Fraud, fraud was probably the the the, the single most contentious issue in Bryden's uh, uh, consultation. Uh, uh, more more comments about the fraud issue than any other. And and uh, what the um, uh, what the consultation is looking at is 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 increasing the responsibility, uh, actually, of both uh, uh, auditors but also directors for the uh, uh, prevention and detection of material fraud. And the first thing to say is it's important to get that word uh, material in there because, uh, because unfortunately fraud is likely to happen in most businesses at a sort of low level residual basis. But this, uh, this uh, uh, focus now on um, uh, uh, preventing and detecting material fraud is meant to address an expectation gap the expectation gap between what uh, uh, the public and 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 uh, outsiders might view as a, a core audit function and what the auditors themselves think is the core function of audit. And as you say, when we get uh, from time to time fraud scandals, that uh, that expectation gap is is uh, uh, you know be becomes uh, very uh, uh, obvious. Yes, and yeah. uh, do you think, Steve, that? Um, that has been sufficient uh, proposed in the white paper concerning the audit of other types of information. I'm particularly thinking of things like ESG information and um, how the company's dealing with, with cybersecurity, how the company's trying to implement, implement a positive corporate culture within the organization. That none of that will require um, compulsory audit or assurance in the future. Um, 
do you think that, that that's a missed opportunity or do you think that all of this anyway is going to require a big increase in cost and bureaucracy for companies? It's, it's probably um, just as well that they're not extending audit too far. And that is that is a great question. I mean, I do think that there are some uh, uh, increased costs here around the audit framework, the new audit framework, as 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 put out in the uh, 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 the white paper. I think the points you raise about about assurance in additional areas, in particular, more more more, more forward looking uh, assurance, is really quite interesting because this ties into what the um, uh, uh, the shareholders and the audit committee might want themselves. It's not mandatory, but of course, we're now going to have a new uh, uh, audit assurance policy. And uh, there is a provision in the uh, the white paper for for not only directors through the audit committee, but also the shareholders to, to, to be involved in that and craft the approach that the auditors uh, actually could take. Yes. Um, Deborah, one thing which sort of caught my eye was we, we were going to have this tough new um, audit regulator um, that is going to not only scrutinise the, the annual reports and the work of directors, but also audit committees and potentially put observers onto audit committees. What did you think about that idea? Well, it's it's extraordinarily interesting, and I suspect we'll get a lot of pushback. I think that's probably my opinion. If you've already seen the the responses to that, um, I think it's hard to comment on this without giving personal opinions, which is it feels like there's too much intervention. Um, I think. I was actually more interested in talking about the the resilience statement. Maybe that's one of the ways that we tackle some of the climate change ones that you were talking about, Roger. You know, that actually one of the questions they're asking with the resilience statement, they're going to do this short, medium and longer term. So short is the existing going concern statement and then medium term is viability. Over five years, it's going to be mandatory. But I think the longer term one, Roger, may be where there is going to be scope for putting in disclosures around climate related financial disclosure and things like that. So I suspect there is an area there to give a much wider view. And of course, one of the big issues around the whole capital maintenance is that all of the requirements are so backward looking, aren't they? The, the company's yes. past performance and it's not about can they actually, um, what are their future financial requirements? So I think there are some, the moves are there not necessarily within the audit itself or the provisions, but much more around the re new reporting requirements to give a more forward-looking, yes. longer-term view. Would you agree with that, Steve? Do you think it's more aimed at that area? Yeah, I do. I think uh, uh, quite uh, 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 quite interesting from a. Uh, an audit perspective that uh, uh, Deborah. I mean, you and I were both uh, both ex auditors, and uh, this idea now of uh, creating a, a, a new uh, a profession of auditors and looking uh, uh, really uh, uh, beyond, uh, uh, way beyond in some areas, the the statutory financial statements uh, uh, is 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 yeah, it, 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 it's interesting. It is interesting. Do you, I mean, one thing that, that strikes me when I see this, the justification for this new corporate audit uh, profession in the white paper, the thing which cries out to me is surely that the same arguments apply to creating a, a professional framework for directors with exactly the same objectives that doesn't seem appear to have been considered, Steve. 
Uh, I, I I absolutely agree with that, uh, Roger. If you're talking about missed opportunities, I think this is a this is a a, a, a missed opportunity. I mean, uh, the, the the idea of uh, 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 directors and, and 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 that role as being a a job in its own right is something which, of course, the Institute of Directors is is uh, very strong in in promoting. There was an opportunity here. Uh, the focus has been on the audit profession. Uh, uh, absolutely yes could i just in the final part now of our podcast just really come um, to some of the implications for the auditors um um, now there are there are a number of options and proposals which have been put into the white paper um one is this idea of having managed shared audits um involving both a big four um accounting firm and auditing you know a FTSE 100 company together with a challenger firm um, undertaking some aspect of, of the audit. Um, Deborah, I just wonder if you have, have any thoughts on that proposal. Do you know, I think what immediately leaps to my mind is how much increase in cost is this going to be for companies and what benefit will it actually bring? Um, that's been the concern in the media, hasn't it? Is, yes. is this actually going to, from the point of view of the shareholder, will this give them increased confidence? Um, I know Steve is better qualified than I am to talk about the whole process, but this does, I think, for many people cause enormous concerns. And it's really around, is the cost actually going to deliver the proportionately for a smaller company, not small, but not a large listed company, is this actually going to deliver real value for the shareholders? So I'd be really interested to see what the final proposals are as to how this is going to work. Well, I mean, Steve, what's your thought on this? Yeah, exactly, uh, Deborah. I share your um, uh, hesitancy and scepticism here. Absolutely, I think it'd be very difficult in practice. I mean, I'm, I mean, the ambition is 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 laudable. Trying to create more resilience in the audit market, uh, trying to 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 develop uh, 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 firms uh, uh, beyond the big four who are capable of auditing uh, public interest entities but I think I think in practice it's going to be very difficult I know uh, 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 it will be extremely difficult to uh, 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 conceive of of uh, uh, this joint managed audit being being carried out in a in, in an efficient cost effective way that is the, that 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 would be the concern yeah. yes and of course the other thing is that uh, the government proposes to do is to push ahead with the operational um, separation of audit and non-audit business in, in the big four firms. Yes. Of course, although, of course, that's they are pretty, doing that pretty much themselves at the, at the current time in, in at long anticipation of this. Yes, I think Roger. I think that's that. That's less contentious. I think. I think you're right. I think. I think Big Four are 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 really getting on with that already. And and uh, I see that uh, that this is an area that uh, uh, that they can manage, and uh, obviously are are, are looking to to uh, support the proposals in that area. Great. Well, well, let me let me conclude by just asking each of you one one last question um and starting with you deborah is this the game changer for corporate reporting and um, corporate audit and, and corporate governance or is it is something else um wow that's a huge question is this the game changer i think it is a game changer for making directors 
focus on what their duties are because they are actually going to have to be accountable. And going back to your earlier point, being a director is a profession in itself. It is not just something you get for good behaviour or being in the job for long enough. And I think that the missed opportunity is absolutely that there should have been support as to how directors can get the appropriate skills in order to fulfil these duties. But I think it is a game changer in focusing on you actually have to fulfil those duties. That to me is really important. I think there are too many question marks about this whole new audit process. And I think that needs to be properly thought out over this joint audit and all the rest of it. But I think that the focus on the directors is a good one. Thank you. And, and Steve, how would you answer the same question? Um, game changer, Roger. Well, I think I think if we look at uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, issue of... Um, problems in corporate reporting and how maybe the Americans have uh, approached it via Sir Baines Oxley. You know, Sir Baines Oxley was very contentious, uh, more contentious than this uh, white paper actually when it came out, but it has resulted in fewer corporate misstatements, fewer uh, 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 frauds in the United States as a result of its implication. And it may be, Roger, that over the next five years or so, we do see uh, uh, some of those uh, benefits here in the UK. So I think it's a it's a considerable piece of work. I think, uh, I, you know, I do commend the, the government for, 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 for basically adopting the proposals in each of those uh, three, uh, three, three reports. A lot of work to do, as Deborah says, a lot of, a lot of things to be considered, not least those uh, uh, managed shared audits that we spoke about earlier. But, uh, but, but yeah, I think this is a significant uh, development. Great. And of course, we have until July the 8th to, to submit our consultation response and to really think through the implications of, of this white paper. Um, and I'm sure we'll have much discussion before then. Um, so I just want to thank Deborah Morton-Dare, Steve Giles. Uh, thank you both very much for your input into this conversation. And we look forward to speaking again soon.